1: Because there came a point where even though I knew that the boys were gone, it was a long time before I went, they're gone but not coming back. And there's a difference. Welcome to Grief Encounters with
2: me, Sasha Hamrogue, And I'm Venetia Quick. We're a weekly podcast that looks at an issue that affects us all and yet remains so difficult to talk about. We'll be chatting to guests from all walks of life on the subject of death and all that comes with it. Our main aim is to motivate, comfort and create a modern space for people to share their own experiences. Could you think of someone that could benefit in listening? Tell them about grief encounters out every single Tuesday. On today's episode, we're meeting Kathleen Cheda. She's going to be talking to us about the unthinkable tragedy that she suffered in July 2013. In the interview, she's going to speak to us about keeping memories alive in the worst possible circumstances.
3: Yeah, so this interview was obviously it was it was an honour to be able to speak to her because um, she's a remarkable person who has suffered really. I think all of us would probably consider the the worst worst possible possible.
2: thing that could happen. Just perhaps to remind people that in July 2013, uh, five years ago, Kathleen's two sons were strangled by their father and put in the boot of the car which he then proceeded to try and attempt to take his own life by crashing into the wall. Now he, as we know, walked away from the accident Um, and while he is serving life in prison, Kathleen is also serving a different sort of life in prison if you want because not only did she lose her two boys, she lost her husband, she lost everything that was important to her. And I think that
3: What's so interesting is the way that she's able to even manage to talk about it to us. There was so much to take away from it. Um, how she keeps the boys memories alive is so beautiful and moving. And I think um, she loved talking about them, which I found was such a, a great thing to be able to, to learn a little bit about them. And oftentimes when people are grieving, all they want to do is maybe talk a little bit about the person or mm-hmm. the people that they and lost. For other people to listen. Yeah.
2: And also, I mean, it's a very, very open honest interview, Kathleen was incredibly open with us and I think a lot of people, if you talk to people about losing perhaps kids and so many people have that people who haven't but who are parents go, oh I don't know what I do, I couldn't get up in the morning but listening to Kathleen Describe how she does get up in the morning and how she does go to work and how she does do the shopping or do her day to day life. And especially now coming up to Christmas, how she deals with for so many people what is a horrendous time of the year and perhaps even more so if you've lost um, your kids. So Kathleen, would you like to take us back to what happened in July uh,
1: 2013. 13. Um, well, I I lost my son's Owen and Rory um, to, they were killed by their dad um, on the 29th of July. Um, I had found out about 10 days beforehand that he had embezzled money from our local community centre. Um, so life had been a bit odd, if mm. you like, for the, the previous 10 days but I thought we were getting back on track and I thought we were, you know, sort of He'd acknowledged it. He was doing something about it. Um, So on the Sunday, the 28th, when he said he was going to take the boys away for the afternoon um, and just give me a bit of time out, um, I didn't really think an awful lot of it. It wouldn't have been an unusual thing to have happened at all. So they were supposed to be going bowling that evening. Um, I'd gone out for a walk with a friend, come home, sat down watching telly, cup of tea and... um, by about 10 o'clock, I started to wonder. Um, and then I phoned him and discovered he'd left his phone behind. Again, not too unusual. He had a new phone, so it was just one mm. of those things. But then within an hour, I started to worry and wonder. Um, I My brother drove me into Carlo to see where they were, where they were supposed to be going. Um, no sign of the car. And I remember vividly coming back up the road towards my house going, please let his car be there please mm. let his car be there um
2: i read somewhere that your first concern was actually for your husband for him. that's oh, yeah. where you yeah. were your mind was I'm, at that yeah. time
1: because of what had happened um i i had i suppose thought well, could he do something to himself and my mantra all through the almost the 24 hours um where they were missing was um they'll be okay he's he'll be okay he's got the boys with him He'll be OK because he's got the boys with him, And it would never, ever have occurred to me that he would hurt the boys. I thought they'll be wondering what's going on, what has happened. They'll be scared when we get them back. Mm. Um, and for that reason, I'd asked his his brother who was up in, in the north to actually come down because I said, OK, this is happening. We had already involved the Gardaí by about midnight, just after midnight. Um, and I had phoned his brother up in the north to see if they'd maybe gone up there and they hadn't. But I remember thinking, OK, everybody's going to be angry with Sanj now. Um, so he's going to need somebody that's going to kind of just sweep him away mm. because I was side. angry. Yeah, yeah, because I was angry of with course. them, and I wasn't going to want to see him. I knew even at that stage I'd need to keep a little bit of a, a lid on it for the boys sake, because they'll have been wondering what mm. was going on. So that was kind of throughout the night. But... Again, I, I even that night, I thought, OK, he's not gone up to Keshe, so maybe he's gone back to his mum over in London and maybe he's gone on the ferry. So I assumed that that was what it was. Mm. Um, and all
2: this time you assumed the boys were with him. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, and I knew they would be because, I, again, and I knew they'd be OK with him, that they'd feel, you know, he's their dad. They loved him. He loved them. Um, he was never anybody that would have been abusive or would have caused any issues or, you know, they it would have been normal for them to have been with mm-hmm. them. Um and they'd have wondered why they were away overnight. I'd think that anyway, mm-hmm. but but other than that I would have said there wasn't anything that they would have necessarily been been concerned about at that stage. But um and yeah, even throughout that whole night and the next day it was okay. He's going to be scared. He's going to be wondering. He's going to wonder what can he do, what where can he go, where can he turn? He's panicked. He's panicked because he's been found out. He's panicked because he's afraid I'm going to kick him out mm. or whatever. But I always felt at that time that the worst that the boys would be would been scared mm. Um, him actually hurting them in any way until it was confirmed was not something I could have ever, ever have imagined.
2: Mm. When did the news come through to you that Paul had happened? Because he, <laughs> crashed, happened. The he crashed the with car with the kids in the boot.
1: So um, throughout that morning uh, I suppose various things were happening, guards were coming and going and I had to, to give a statement um, and it was... <laughs> In hindsight, now, when I, when I think about it, we had gone into the sunroom, which is just off the sitting room, it was a quiet little spot. And I was sat with one of the detectives and um, I had my phone with me because there would have been various phone calls coming through. Um, and I, when he sat down and he started off with, uh, so Kathleen, you were born here in Ballinkillen. And I was like, mm. oh, my, how, how much of my life do you mm. <laughs> actually need to know? And it literally was. From then, all the way through to meeting Sanj and, and sort of our relationship, things like that. Um, and and that continued for, I have no idea, sort of the time scale on it. But the next thing, the phone rang and it was a number that I didn't recognize. Um, So I answered it again. Lots of numbers were coming through the guards, various, uh, etc. I answered it and it was Sanj on the other end of the, the line. And it was like, <gasps> and you go in to this, this strange phase. I've seen all the detective te- mm. um, uh, uh, things on, on television where you go, you keep him talking. You, mm. you know you keep him talking. So I'd made eye contact with the detective that was with me and um, it was like, okay, I needed to keep him talking here now. Uh, where are you? What's what's happened? Where are the boys? And he the first thing Sam said to me was there's been a crash. And um, uh, he said uh, the the boys are dead, in the back, were the words. So he's the one that actually told me, um, himself, and um, and I, I kind of I dropped the phone at that stage, um, or or handed it straight over to the the detective. I, I it's all a bit hazy, yeah. but I remember walking out, and and everybody had realised that because it's glass doors on the into the sitting room, and and sort of anybody that was there, my parents and that. Realize that something's going on, and um, so they were watching what was was inside. And the next thing they see me just um, falling apart. So um, I walk back out into the sitting room, and I remember sitting down, and and I remember, and I have no idea the time frame on this, but I remember sitting there, staring, looking at the detective, going, "It can't be true. It can't be true. He's okay." So the boys are probably dazed, mm. or they're you know, something they're unconscious, whatever. Mm. But if he's OK and he was driving, they must be OK. Mm. Um, and God love that poor detective because I, I still remember staring at him and, and everything. He he now held my entire life in those mm. moments because he was the one that was going to tell me that my boys were OK and I just needed to get in a car and go mm. to them.
2: Mm. But that's or not. not yeah.
1: or not. And and it was it was a not. And and he had to go off. He had to confirm, you know. And I mean, he's talking to um, you know, the, even getting official confirmation at that stage. And I know the details now. I didn't at the time. um. But even for him to get those conf- that confirmation and in fairness to to the guy, they were it felt like forever, but it was probably quite fast and they were able mm. to tell me um and uh, and and yeah i i i remember him confirming it and then i just lost it mm-hmm. um i mean it was it was yeah it, it, it this there's, there's no words Nothing. there's no words at that stage because the the entire entire life is pulled out of you um at that point and and people came around and they were Trying to hold me, and I didn't want to be held, and I didn't want anybody there, and I wanted everybody there. Mm. And, um, you just don't know what you want. You just want, don't know what then. you want. You, yeah, I knew exactly what I wanted, but <laughs> I, I wanted, uh, but I also, even in those moments, knew that that wasn't um, gonna gonna be. Yeah. So, um, yeah, incredible. Just, can you?
3: Can you tell us about the boys? <laughs> you know, I've seen their pictures yeah. and, and I know it's probably very difficult to talk about. It, but I would love just to know a little bit oh, about the them. boys.
1: Oh, no, it's not difficult. You give me an opportunity to talk <laughs> about Owen and Rory and I will take it. Um, well, at the time, they were five and ten. Owen is the oldest. Owen was, uh, was ten and, and Rory five. And they were, they were very close. As brothers, actually, I always said the fact that we had those sort of five years between them was, was quite nice um, because even though they weren't close in age, they were very, very close as, as brothers um, and they were both incredibly sporty. Um, GAA was was their mm-hmm. big passion. Um, Owen Hurling, Rory he wasn't quite sure yet. He was a bit iffy as to whether football might be. The one for him, um, but certainly hurling at that stage was was okay too. Um, I mean, we used to joke that they would literally watch two flies going up a wall. <laughs> as, you know, it had been the, um, uh, the, the 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 there was some what was it the, the what do they call them the uh, not athletic athletics the not World Cup either Olympics. the Olympics that's the word yeah. uh, the Olympics had been on and. Um, Rory had sussed out how to go to Teletext. And I mean, I caught him watching uh, table tennis one of the days, anything, anything. Um, So they were they were just bright and happy and very easygoing. Um, They were good kids, normal. They try your patience (laughs) as any child will do. Um, But but they actually had they were they were kind. Um, Owen in particular would have had a very gentle way about him, um, which, uh, you know, when it's described to you as, as a mum, you're going to, you know, you, the pride does, does come out. And, and his teachers would have talked about how they knew where to put him sitting or who to put him sitting next. So he had a great ability to, to draw out a quiet child out of themselves and to calm a child that was maybe a little bit more boisterous. Um, which I always thought at, at nine and ten to have that mm, yeah. was quite Remarkable, incredible. Yeah. Mm. Um so to you know and and these would have been stories that I've heard before I lost them. So I I know, <laughs> I know they were true. Um so at parent teacher meetings. Um and uh and, and and that you know, you go in as a as a parent to a parent teacher meeting, you know, going, okay, what's what's going on? But The only thing I was ever told negatively was that they were never going to be on the stage. So (laughs) they didn't have a note between them. That's it. Um, So they they couldn't sing. Um, But but other than that, they were very well-rounded. Oh, Rory kind of ruled the roost because he, and I always thought, he had confidence because he had his big brother there, mm-hmm. you know. So he he was able to. He literally grew up on the sidelines of the of the pitch, watching, mm-hmm. you Owen and play. And so when it came to his turn, it was very easy for him. Um, and uh, and I remember him his first day in school, uh, walking in, and one of the older kids um, sort of came across and high fived him. And I remember thinking, you'll be all right. Yeah. You'll be OK. Because, you know, they, they knew him so well. And, and it was almost like they bypassed Owen to get to Rory at times. And uh, I remember Owen coming home one of the days with, going, they all want him to sign their books or their bags, Mammy. And I'm like, oh, that's, that's lovely. He said, yeah. So he got little pieces of paper and got Rory to sign them. And he was going out, handing out his... Autograph, <laughs> oh. <laughs> but he was proud about it. Yeah. It was, which was lovely because there wasn't any jealousy or any, you know, he didn't. He actually was quite proud yeah. that that Rory had this. So they were um, now, as I say, they would try your patience at times <laughs> too, you know, um, and and they did have that ability, but they were they were easygoing yeah. kids and and had a great sense of of um, fairness yeah. um, about themselves and. Um, we used to uh, we used to try and go out we'll say for lunch nearly every week and they used to take it in turns to choose which you know Aww. so if it happened to not be a Sunday because Rory's favourite was the white chicken in the local Indian in Carlo, which was basically chicken corma <laughs> but white chicken <laughs> and if it happened to not be his, or to be his turn but that the the white chicken wasn't going to be on the menu then he'd give it to Owen Uh to take a turn and (laughs) come back at it. So that was the the way they were. Those little
2: memories like that, just as you describe them, which are as kids, describe just things that we all know the proper name of. How difficult is that for you now when you see something like chicken corm on a menu, it must give you a dart, Mm. or you see,
1: I don't know, something really simple that they
2: liked or they didn't like, and you went...
1: Mm. And it does. it's, It's hard to say whether it's difficult or not. Because it, it happens and it's funny people talk about this time of the year coming up to Christmas mm. or coming up to their birthdays or, or things like that and
2: all the time. you're
1: prepared for that mm-hmm. actually you are preparing yourself you're actually thinking okay this is going to be hard so I'm going to have to do this or that or the other it's the unexpected times. It's the mm. times that I'm walking down the street and I see somebody that looks like them or I see two brothers that look like they'd be about mm. the same age or driving up um, the street in Ballinkillen when I know the school is opening tomorrow. But I've driven up and there's all those teacher's cars there and I hadn't really anticipated or expected mm. that and you're suddenly going, OK, this would be how it would be. Or, um, you know, one of Owen's friends got Player of the Year um, this weekend for Ballenkill and for hurling, and and I know how Owen would have been mm. with Eric and and would have enjoyed celebrating that with him. Um, so it's those moments, and it it's I didn't know that the 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 um, awards were happening as such this weekend. I'd have no reason to. It wasn't you know just just because I wasn't around. And yet when you hear about it afterwards, you're delighted for the kids. But actually going, they should have been there. Mm. And um, it's those little things. Mm. So it's the things that you can't anticipate that mm. are, are worse. It's being been
2: ca- caught off guard.
1: Yeah, mm. yeah, completely, Just... completely.
3: I think when it comes to grief, the thing that's interesting is that the relationship doesn't end. And I think a lot of people think that when maybe the person dies that it's over, but it actually goes on. It does. You know, I'm sure that's been the case for you. How do you feel you best honour the boys? How do you keep that relationship kind of going?
1: Um, Loads of ways in a way. Um, I suppose for me, a lot of it is faith. I do have a strong faith. It doesn't mean I go to mass every Sunday, but I do have a strong faith. So for me, they're not gone as such. Um, And I so for, they're, they're very much in the house with me. There is a sense of them being there. I'll chat to them Um, I, I have their teddy bears beside me in bed. And, and it's funny, last night um, for the first time in a long time, I held them while I was going to sleep because I was finding it hard to go to sleep. And that happens sort of just out of the blue. Um, the light in Owen's room comes on on a regular basis. Is it them? Is it the electrics in the house? Mm. I don't really care what it is. Signs. It's the signs, yeah. and and I always think if you go looking for the big signs or something obvious, you'll miss all of these little things. So the little things are what what help. And and even when walking out this morning, which has never happened before, the light came on, so I had to go back up <laughs> the stairs to turn it off. And you and you stop in the doorway, and you have a little word, and you just have a chat with them, and and it's it's. That sort of thing. So the relationship is still there. It's a little bit odd from the perspective of on some sort of supernatural level. They know more than me now. Mm-hmm. They're they're wiser than I am. And um, so what and, and that's very odd as a, as a mother, because you should be wiser than your child at that's at this stage. So what 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 do they know and what do they do and what what? Where are they in me, and and that relationship changes, you know, about t- two years ago. So it would have been three years after losing them. That shifted, and it's hard to actually put it into words and say exactly. But there was a shift of some kind, um, where it was almost like I let them go, but in letting them go, they're with me in a different way. Mm. Um, and I, I'm in the early days of that feeling and that sense. It was like trying. To hold on, trying to go, no, I, I, I need to, I need to heat them. I need to feel them. I need to know that they're there. And you're kind of getting tense and you're squeezing and it's. But actually, then when you relax and you go, you know what? They're still there. They're still with me. They're in a good space. They're in a good place. They're happy um, in whatever that is. And they're together. Mm. Um, But I'll never lose them. Um, I'll always have them have them beside me.
3: If you're looking for a safe haven to express how you feel, share articles, photos, and memories of your loved ones, join the Grief Encounters Facebook group, a place for support, compassion, and empathy for those grieving.
0: Hold up.
2: Trauma counseling as opposed to grief counseling. Um, And there'd be a lot of people listening to you now going, who may have been recently bereaved, (laughs) who are going, how the hell did (laughs) she get to this point where she can sit down and talk about it so calmly, apparently, and almost in some sense, almost forgivingly or I don't know what the word what, is, but you, yeah. you know what I'm saying, yeah. just in you have your you can sit here and you can talk about the, the, boys. the boys and how did you get to that point? What could you <laughs> say to people who are just can never see themselves getting to that point where
1: I, I, I start off because I'm a muffin asked, how, how do you and, and I'm mm. very conscious that I make it look easy. Um, when I'm you talking <laughs> and it's not. Mm. So don't be fooled by by that. I can talk now. I live with this every day. So I've had five years of 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 this conversation, be it in, in person or in my head. So that gets you to a point where you can talk about it almost like there's no emotion. Mm. Um, and part of that is because you, you kind of have to. You can't have that deep, heavy emotion every time. So I go back to the the start, if you like, for me, which is I came from a very grounded family. Um, and in the circumstances, I consider myself very lucky. So I have a good family, um, extended family and and friends support network. And that, mm. that kind of started me me off and um, I'm, I'm kind of quite a practical person. So it's like, OK, we're here. What what now? What, what do I have to do now to get myself to the next point? Mm. So there's an element of that. But f- most of all, I met the right counsellor or psychologist. Um and, and Tim had uh, he's retired now as it happens, but he had a history of trauma um, counseling. And that's what I was having in the beginning. I wasn't having grief counseling, grief counseling. You know, all the theory behind it says you've got to wait six months or a year or a certain points. But within five weeks, I had started seeing him and I was seeing him three times a week to begin with on the recommendation of a friend who is a psychotherapist herself and. That again, as I say, I was very, very lucky that I met the right person. So he was able to just let me talk. As much or as little as I needed to. And let me bring every emotion out, because in the early days it was all about Sanj Mm -hmm. and it was about Sanj because it was easier Mm -hmm. to actually think about him and manage him in my mind than it was to acknowledge the boys were gone. Um, so although on a logical level, I knew they were gone and every level I knew they were gone, it was very I didn't wasn't that I didn't accept it. It was that it just didn't feel it. It didn't mm. feel like they were gone. It didn't feel like they they weren't going to walk in the door at any moment. Um. So there's th- almost little it's almost like the boxes in your mind and you put certain things into the boxes and, and you can take them out and put them back and take them out, and put them back. But that let me. I suppose it allowed me to realize that this was normal. This was OK to manage it this way. It was OK to not um, have to, you know, sort of go through grief counseling mm. uh, until I was ready to do it, um, because there came a point where even though I knew that the boys were gone, it was a long time before I went, they're gone, but not coming back. Mm. And there's a difference. And there it can be hard
3: to go to grief counseling when you haven't yes. ex- even a, accepted. A, ha- accepted the fact that you've mm. experienced a loss. Yeah. yeah. God, I had never thought of that, so but that's such a valid you, point. Yeah. And
1: and and so you have to actually give yourself the, the, the time. Um, now, it could have been different. If I hadn't met him uh, when I did, I don't know where I'd be um, because family and friends are fantastic and you need the support. But actually, they're going through their own grief mm. at the same yeah. time and, um, and and loss. And they're trying to to hold you and they're trying to support you and they're trying to make things better for you, you know, and they can't and they're not trained. So with Tim, although after five years I have a very good relationship with him, it wasn't a personal relationship to begin with. And that allowed me to sit and just talk. There was no judgment. There was no, it didn't matter what I talked about. And the complexity of it was actually down to the fact that I also lost my husband mm. and my marriage. So, but I couldn't grieve him. Um, I didn't want to grieve him apart from anything else, but I couldn't grieve him. I couldn't grieve that loss because um, because he was still there and he was responsible for everything. So it became very complicated, even in my head, because I I had loved him up until Mm, that point. So it wasn't a relationship that had had um, sort of a a gradual kind of downhill spiral. Um, It had been a good relationship up until 10 days before. Mm. And suddenly, and I still hadn't, even at that point, processed that. that. So you've got that loss as well. Mm. Um, And the one person, the one, one person that you wanted beside you going through all of this... Mm was him
3: he was responsible yeah. and
1: yet he was responsible for it he was the cause of it um so uh, and and things like um in the early days he was in the central mental hospital and even down to packing a bag for him oh which i did after the funeral because that's what you do mm. that's what As the wife, that's what you do. Um, I was involved in some of the assessments while I didn't see Sanj himself. I was involved in some of the assessments um, that were going on up there. And they were very good to me in the Central Mental Hospital, in fairness. But I remember the first time that I went up there bringing shampoo, socks, boxer shorts, books, because that's what you do Mm. for your husband in hospital. So you know, when when you see all these things in, in the media and, and that about, you know, um, I suppose families of, of victims maybe not reacting as people would expect them to react, it's because you can't. Mm. But You're there's so no template there's either, either there's for
2: not. how somebody no. should react. No. Everyone reacts differently. Exactly. There's no you
1: There know. is no right or wrong. And yeah. that's one of the things I talk about with grief. There isn't a right or wrong to it. Um, it's how do you negotiate it yourself? Mm. What? Is right for you what works for you because there's a lot of presumptions and I actually think that even now people would have would accept me sat in a corner mm. sort of not communicating almost more yeah. than seeing me out, out mm. and about mm. and actually engaged do you with think, life.
2: Do you think there's sort of an attitude perhaps that, oh, look, she's out. She's having a glass of wine. She's grand or she's getting she's doing tremendously. She's yeah. getting through it. Yeah. But then you go home and you close the front door and you crumble and you yeah. curl up into a ball and it, that's how you really yeah. are. And that's and how they don't see that. And they don't
1: see that, you know, and and while I, I mean, I there's a part of me that and that's where I when I say I can make it look easy that's not fair on other people either, mm. to a certain extent. So, you know, you, you it isn't easy. And exactly as you've described, you know, you do walk in and I have those couch days um, not as often as I used to, but they're the days where you can go in and you literally go from one TV program to another mm. um, and go, I just don't want to move. I and, and suddenly, two and a half hours later, you're still sat on the couch going, where's that time gone? Um, sometimes there's tears, sometimes there's not, but sometimes it's just I want the world to go away mm. and leave me alone. Um, and then you put and it is a game face. You put a face on and you go out and and sometimes that game face is real. Sometimes mm. I am I I often say I I can still be happy. Mm. I can st- I haven't changed my me Kathleen is still here. Um, my life the circumstances, all of that has changed. It is not the life that I want. It's not the life that I had. It's not the life that I should be living. But it is what it is now. And and I have to, on some level, um, make something of it. Um, and, and nobody else can do that for me. I have to do this. Um, I made a decision very early on not to be bitter and not to be angry because in a way that gave Sanche too much power. Um, and it also meant that I couldn't have the relationship that I consider I now have with mm-hmm. Owen and Rory if I was going to let bitterness and anger um, be everything. Um, because, you know, I still have friends and family. I have nieces and nephews, friends, children, and I think children in particular. I always say my nieces and nephews are what bring me joy now. And and I think if I was angry, if that anger was inside of me and coming out all the time, they'd know instinctively and they'd just avoid you. It's not that they do anything, they'd just avoid you. Whereas I get the hugs and the kisses and the I love you's and um, and it means the world, you know, um, it really, really does. You, you, That's that's what you need and, and, uh, and that hasn't changed. They meant the world to me alongside Owen and Rory and they still do.
2: Just want to ask you, finally, you've channeled a lot of your energy and perhaps your grief mm. into the Save campaign. Yeah. And you see this a bit when somebody dies tragically or early on that people will will find or create a yeah. a. a something to make life better for other people, which is exactly what you've done with the Save campaign. Do you want to tell us a
1: little bit about that? Yeah. So um, I suppose it it started off and you're absolutely right. And I think if you look at every children's charity in particular, Mm -hmm. they've inevitably come out of some tragedy um, uh, somewhere. And, And for me, it wasn't that I wanted to start a a a charity. So um, I've spoken to a number of people, actually even in the Carla Kilkenny area, who have lost um, family members to homicide. And while the circumstances might be different in that it was maybe a partner, so not necessarily a family member um, or somebody as close to them as Sandra was to me uh, that, that actually carried out the, the, the homicide. But we were looking at it and when we came together, we realized that actually there's a lot that's not fair in the judicial system here in Ireland Um, and you look at it and you see it all the time now. And it was the realisation that for me, Sanja is entitled to apply for parole after seven years. Okay, so that's a year and a half away Um, for taking the lives of of his two sons, of my sons, taking your life and taking Mm -hmm. everything from me Um, and and that he could walk away. Now, I know it's unlikely that he will get parole but he's still entitled to apply. And he's still entitled to apply two years after that and a year after that and a year after that, etc. And I know that's changing. It's going to increase to 12 years, but even that's not quite good enough. What I would like to see and what the group would like to see is what we call minimum tariffs. They happen in the UK, in Australia, in various other countries because that gives the victims and the families of victims... something more definite so if Sanj had been given his two life sentences which were running concurrently which I have an issue with as well but if I knew that he was going to spend a minimum of 20 years in prison I could actually go right I've got the next 20 years of my life and I don't have to think about him I don't have to Mm. worry about it. it's just Mm. it'll come back then but you know what in 20 years time I'll be in a different space it would have been so much easier Um, whereas you know, suddenly we're five and a half years in and, and only another year and a half before he has the opportunity and I have to build myself up to that because I don't know whether he will or he won't. Mm. So I can't let it be that it'll come out of the blue. So I have to build up to it. I have to get myself prepared. I have to prepare another statement as to why he shouldn't be um, entitled. Um, so that's really, and, and as simple as that concept is, you know, minimum tariffs, it isn't an easy thing in this country uh, the, from a judicial perspective. So we're looking at, at other things as well. We're looking at advocacy, um, n- not so much that we're becoming a support group. We will support anybody, but we want change. So this is about advocacy, not necessarily a support group like um, support after homicide or, or Advoc. Um, so we really want change. and And I think there's an appetite for it now. So if we can look at this, looking at something called domestic homicide reviews, which happen in the UK, which give you a lot more information, it isn't going to change anything for me or for any of the members of the group. But we all recognise that there is a need to be open about this, to be open about homicide itself and and, and murder and and not be afraid to talk about it and and to accept that it happens in the most normal and ordinary of Mm. families um uh, that it's not always just a headline um you know so we're hoping and, and in fairness we have got um support um through uh, all of the various um political parties at this point we've talked to them all um it's going to be a long, slow process as anything is in any country. I won't say just Ireland, but uh, trying to make any changes to laws are always going to be difficult. But we're in this for the, the long haul. As I say, we know it won't change anything for us, mm. but we're hoping that further down the line on the next, you know, uh, case or a similar case, which unfortunately, no matter how much we want to stop it, we know it's going to happen. Um, we're hoping that we can can make a difference with that. Okay, well, Cathy, thank you very much indeed.
2: And of course, if you want to find out more about the SAVE campaign, uh, you can go to Facebook.com forward slash SAVE.